Shadow Summit Paranormal Research Lab. This is Dr. Jensen speaking. How may I assist you, caller? Hi, Dr. Jensen. This is Henry. Henry Johnson from Kevinbury, Pennsylvania. I've been experiencing something odd by the creek where I take my late-night walks. Hello, Henry. Nice to meet you. Can you give me a more detailed account of the events you're referring to? Sure. It began like any normal evening. You see, I'm an amateur herpetologist, particularly fascinated by frogs. Now, on these walks, I carry a flashlight to spot them. On one occasion, I saw a glow not related to any frog I've ever seen. It... it was... spectral. And it seemed... alive. Interesting. And can you sequence these occurrences for me, Henry? Absolutely. Firstly, I noticed the glow. It piqued my interest, and that's when I discovered the spectral creature. The most unsettling part was that my flashlight began to flicker, or sometimes even shut off entirely when I pointed it towards the entity. While these malfunctions irked me, I was intrigued. Can you elaborate more on the specific circumstances, such as the time these events typically occur, the weather conditions, or if there's anything unusual about the creek's surrounding area? I usually take my walks around 9.30 in the evening. The weather doesn't seem to matter. The creature appears regardless. Now the area, it's an old creekside, rumored to be a Native American sacred site. My ancestors have lived in this town for generations, so I've grown up hearing stories, but I always dismiss them until now. That provides some valuable context. Have you noticed anything else strange either before these events began, during these sightings, or after you return home? The only thing I can recall is that other electronic equipment, like my digital camera and phone, also fail around this creature. And, once I'm away from it, they work perfectly fine. That's quite peculiar. Now, have there been any other witnesses? Perhaps others who might have experienced or observed this phenomenon? My friend Mike was with me one evening. He saw the creature, too. His phone stopped working just like mine. Otherwise, it's a pretty secluded spot. Not many folks venture there at night. Interesting. That reminds me of the electronic voice phenomenon and the spectral moose sightings in Maine and Canada. There were similar equipment malfunctions reported with these cases. Really? So I'm not the only one experiencing this? Not exactly. In Europe, there have been sightings of something called the Will-o'-the-Wisp, spectral lights seen around marshy areas. Some folks believe they're spirits. Others think it could be geological gases. Your story seems to contain similar elements, albeit with a unique twist involving amphibians. The first step you should take is documenting these instances, making notes of weather conditions, feelings, even smells. Secondly, consider reaching out to a local Native American tribal council. They might have insights vital to understanding this phenomenon. Well, that does sound practical. Would it be possible, though, for you to come down and investigate this? Definitely a possibility, Henry. I'll discuss it with my team, and we will decide the next steps and get back to you. This creature you describe, it's fascinating. I greatly appreciate your help, Doctor. That's why we're here, Henry. Thank you for reaching out. I'll be in touch soon. Goodbye for now. Goodbye, Dr. Jensen. I look forward to hearing from you. Jensen, you mentioned earlier that you had a rather interesting call earlier this evening. Would you care to fill us in on the details? Yes, the call was from a gentleman in Kevinbury, Pennsylvania. His name's Henry Johnson, and he's been witnessing an unexplained phenomenon. A spectral entity on his local creekside walk. 
But what's truly peculiar here are the malfunctions of his electronic devices, his flashlight, digital camera, and phone, whenever this entity appears. This man, believe it or not, is an amateur herpetologist and initially thought the glow was related to frogs. Now, a small detail that might matter. He did mention that this creek is believed to be a Native American sacred site. Fascinating. This spectral entity that Henry refers to, it rings a bell, reminiscent of quite a few native cultures' myths and legends. The appearance of a glowing creature in a sacred site could perhaps have a symbolic or spiritual significance. There could be a wealth of cultural context we're unaware of. That's an intriguing take, Sirian. However, we have to consider more mundane explanations as well. His electronic devices failing could be due to multiple factors, and not necessarily related to the entity. As far as his creature sighting, it could be a result of marsh gas, or we could be dealing with a case of pareidolia. All valid points, both of you. On one hand, we do have a good bit of mythological correlation, suggesting a potential spiritual phenomenon. But on the other, we must also consider the more scientific explanations, like the marsh gas Victoria mentioned, or electromagnetic interference causing the device malfunctions. This reminds me quite a bit of the case down in Florida last year. The Green Swamp Spook Light, remember? Witnesses reported lights dancing over marshy areas, and equipment malfunctions were reported then too. Yes, but the Green Swamp case didn't involve any spectral entities. The device malfunction element is really interesting here, especially considering it's happening simultaneously with the entity's appearance. That's correct. The Green Swamp case was more about lights and less about a specific entity. There were also more observers in that case, and the device failures were intermittent, not as consistently as we're seeing here. Going back to that call transcript, Jensen, Henry mentioned his friend Mike also witnessed the creature and experienced the same electronic failure. That adds credence to the observation. We now have more than one individual reporting the same phenomenon. Yes, that does make it more significant. We're dealing with a spatially limited phenomenon here and these electronic failures seem to cope with the entity's presence, which is interesting and warrants further investigation. Agreed. So we appear to have a case that combines elements of folklore and potential physical phenomena. The critical thing here is keeping an open mind and considering all possibilities. A multifaceted approach to data collection would be best. Audit the physical environment the electromagnetic fields and possible chemical properties that may cause this glowing entity. And for collecting narratives, local stories and any other legends tied to this site. I'd be suspecting those old tales to hold deeper truths than sheer folk tales based on Henry's eyewitness account. It's agreed then. I'll prepare for the on-site investigation while keeping your suggestions in mind. We'll do our best to unravel this fascinating mystery. Day one. I arrived at Kevinbury, a quaint, unsuspecting township bordered by majestic creeks and the whispers of ancient Native American narratives. A good old boy named Henry Johnson had put a call through to our lab back in Pennsylvania. His story, a spectral entity haunting his creekside walk, was curious enough, but this tale had more layers, the kind that amplifies my heart rate. His electronic devices that played dead each time this entity emerged, that sparked my curiosity. Information like that typically doesn't come from prank calls or imaginations run wild. Johnson's spectre wasn't your usual orb of light. This creature had form and behavior, 
shifting along the creek like a knowledgeable resident. The disdain it showed for modern technology was another puzzle to solve. Was it causing the malfunctions, or were they just unfortunate coincidences? My curiosity was set ablaze like dry timber. I was here to piece together this fascinating jigsaw. My initial strategy was to replicate Johnson's encounters to walk his path, flashlight, digital camera, and phone in tow. If the entity didn't show, we'd attempt to communicate, try to provoke a response. We were here winterm and expecting to wade through the realms of folklore, spiritual phenomena, and hardcore physics. The probability of an electromagnetic disturbance around the creek seems plausible, given the repeated device malfunctions. But would it be that simple? Would we find the scientific equivalent of a plug come loose? The locale was a visual treat. The cold burrowed into your bones and breaths turned dragon-like in the air. The creek, a sinewy jade ribbon, meandered through the snow-powdered landscape. The skeletal canopy stretched overhead like an arched ceiling, its residence silenced by the frosty invasion. The place was tranquil yet eerie, like a weight. For me? For the spectre? I started my investigation by talking with Henry and his friend Mike. Their stories were consistent and sincere. They described the entity as seemingly part of the environment, yet also apart from it. Their electronic items died precisely as they said, including Henry's field binoculars, which was an unexpected bonus in our data pile. Fascinatingly, there were periods in the night when the temperature dropped significantly in particular areas, which didn't make sense, given the calm, windless night. Was this our entity showing up, but remaining unseen? I began taking regular EMF readings and monitoring radio frequencies, hoping for leads. This situation drew parallels to the infamous Green Swamp Spook Light, where similar dancing lights and device malfunctions alarmed the locals. However, this time we have a specific entity and a potential spiritual correlation thrown into the intriguing mix. The first night wasn't eventful, but it wasn't quiet either. Spooked-out critters, scuttling shadows, and hushed rustling kept us on our toes. A fox appeared to respond to something we couldn't see, staring towards the creek and bolting in the opposite direction in a terrified rush. Could it be seeing what we could not? My primary tools were digital EMF meters, infrared cameras, and recording equipment, versatile enough to cover a broad spectrum of frequencies. Our radar gun could pick up any fast-moving entity. The omnidirectional microphone could capture ethereal whispers. Each tool had a purpose, each providing another piece to this paranormal Rubik's Cube. Using scientific methods alongside witness narratives allowed us to triangulate our understanding of the phenomenon. We deployed atmospheric anemometers and hygrometers to record any swift changes in wind or humidity that would correspond to spectral activity. Each reading yawned with possibilities, waiting to be linked together. Just before dawn broke, I found an old, rusty bear trap buried in the snow not far from the creek. The spring mechanism was shot, rendered useless by years of exposure so it posed no threat. What's startling, though, was that the trap was located precisely where Henry's devices failed each time. Day 2 
daylight saw me unravel yesterday's mystery radio signal. That rusty old bear trap was radiating a strong radio signal that interfered with digital devices. It was a baffling, unexpected twist, and one that could fundamentally change our understanding of this case. I shared this finding with Mike and Henry, whose faces morphed into a mix of relief and confusion. Mike stammered, but how could that affect Henry's flashlight? It ain't got no microchip or something. The exact question that was gnawing at me. I could imagine Victoria and Syrian's faces nodding approvingly at this finding. But knowing them, both would press for more. Dig deeper to explain the anomalies surrounding this naturally occurring interference. Specifically, the physical manifestation of the spectral entity and its correlation with the electronic sundowns. Syrian did mention something about Native American spiritual sites often having unusual natural electromagnetic anomalies. Similarly, Victoria's theory about marsh gas may explain the visual apparition, but I still needed to connect the dots. Both Henry and Mike were cooperative, but they had no additional insight about the bear trap or any other unusual activity. But the trap had another secret to tell, that it was not alone. A quick sweep with my metal detector unearthed a dozen such traps all along the Creekside Trail, each of them humming on illegal radio frequencies. There was an unnerving moment. As I stood amongst these traps, the creek's usual whisper turned into ominous chatter. The wind died down, the forest went silent, and the air itself seemed to wait with bated breath. It was as if I'd crossed an invisible threshold, yet my devices remained unaffected. The twist was quite absurd. The traps were responsible for the radio signals confirmed by several tests and the interference with the electronics. How they were emitting it is another question, but it's clear that the bear traps were the source of the signal. As dusk turned to moonlit night, I found myself standing creekside, looking at the spectral entity shimmering into life. Amid the ethereal beauty of its fluorescent manifestation, I realized the scientific pursuit had almost blinded me from understanding the true wonder of what we were experiencing, as it moved in ways that defied simple physics or explanations. I noticed it appeared to be avoiding the location of the traps. New questions hovered in the frosty air. Why would a spectral entity avoid traps buried deep under the snow? Why could we see it clearly now, when it had been but a dim glow before? It was a fantastic spectre, this ghost of Kevinbury Creek, fascinatingly real and evoking a sense of profound mystery. As I wrapped up my investigation, a chorus of coyotes howled in the distance. The spectral entity ceased its dance, dimmed, and faded away in the darkened creek, in sync with their primal serenade. I was left there, shivering in the increasing chill, the questions, and the beautiful unsolved mystery of the spectral apparition of Kevinbury Creek. Ladies and gentlemen, I just returned from what can only be described as a mystifying adventure. I have just unpacked my findings from an incredible field investigation. The Kevinbury Creek mystery brought a spectral entity and modern technology into an intriguing nexus, one unlike any we've encountered to date. Liam, I understand from the initial call summary that the manifestation consistently led to the malfunction of any electronic devices present. Your field report suggests these weren't random incidents, correct? Precisely, Victoria. 
Not a single digital device escaped, clearly indicating a powerful and recurring electromagnetic disturbance. While the science is fascinating, we can't overlook the folklore intertwined here. The creek is a rumored Native American sacred site. It's likely these stories contain elements that can help us understand the phenomenon better. Fair enough, Syrian. But we must not let legends distract from empirical facts. Jensen, you mentioned the bear traps you unearthed were all radiating strong radio signals. What could explain that? Honestly, Victoria, I've no answer yet. It's baffling. It's reminiscent of past sites we've observed where electromagnetic disturbances occurred for no readily visible reason. However, the bear traps are clearly tied to the phenomenon, likely causing the electronic malfunctions. That's very intriguing. In many Native American cultures, traps aren't merely physical tools. They often hold symbolic and spiritual significance. The placement of these traps and their impact on the spectral entity may be worth further exploration. True, but the physicality of the traps hint towards a more tangible explanation. Did you consider that the entity may be a reflection or projection, something interacting with the radio signals emitted from the traps? That's an interesting theory, Victoria. I hadn't looked at it from that perspective. It would indeed explain why the entity avoided those very areas where the traps lay hidden. Ah, that adds a different color to it all, doesn't it? If our spectral entity is a reflection or a manifestation of these radio signals, it would align folklore, phenomenology, and physics quite neatly. Yes, precisely. Such a possibility would mean we're not dealing with a living spirit or entity, but an artifact of some higher order physical interaction. Our task, as always, is to ask the right questions and follow where they lead. Even if it means diving deep into realms of folklore, spiritual phenomena, and disruptive physics. Considering all we've learned, I think we're on the right path. I'll consolidate our observations and continue probing into this fascinating mystery. Thanks, Victoria and Syrian, for the thought-provoking input. And so, I declare the case of the Kevinbury Creek spectral entity effectively explained, and here's why. Reason 1. The electromagnetic interference causing electronic malfunctions traced back to several buried rusty bear traps radiating strong radio signals along the Creekside Trail. Reason 2. The spectral entity, presumed initially to be of an unexplained nature, can now be understood as a physical manifestation stimulated by the radio waves emitted by the unearthed traps. Its behavior of avoiding areas with high signal strength further substantiates this theory. Reason 3. The overlaying influence of local folklore and spirituality, despite adding a rich cultural perspective to the narrative, is supplemented by this tangible scientific explanation providing a comprehensive understanding of the observed phenomenon.